Thank you. Guys, it is really my honor to be here with you. I love college students. Um, I have ended up sort of accidentally dedicating my life to uh, ministering to and working with college students. And so it's great to be with a batch that I don't know at all. I am so thrilled to be here this weekend. We've got a big weekend ahead of us. Um, and we're going to look at all sorts of things. Uh, kind of the framework of the weekend, what we're going to be doing is uh, where we're going. Tonight, we're looking at God's big mission. We're going to start really, really broad. We're going to look in a short period of time from Genesis to Exodus to see what God is doing. Then tomorrow, we're going to break it down a little bit and begin to look at the practicalities of that and how might we actually participate in God's big mission. Um, understanding faith, work, and mission, putting into the practices, and then on Sunday morning, we're going to look at roadblocks to fruitfulness, really get down into our hearts where, you know, okay, maybe we conceptually understand what's happening, but to actually get there sometimes is harder uh, because of all sorts of reasons, and we're going to look at that, and uh, it'll, be, it'll be good. Um, but before we jump into anything else, I would love to pray. Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this space. Thank you so much for these people. God, thank you for this camp even where there have been decades and decades of people coming to meet with you, connect with you, go deeper with you and with others. God, we ask that this weekend you would encounter us in a new and deeper way. That, God, we would understand who you are and what you're up to and how you're operating and who we are in that picture in a way that we just haven't before. I pray that for me, too, not just for them. God, would you encounter all of us this weekend, take us all deeper into you and into your reality and into your goodness. I admit, Lord, that apart from you, I can't do that. Apart from you, Jesus, I can do nothing that matters. But God, I know that all things are possible through you. So I ask humbly tonight and for this weekend, Lord, that you would bless me, that you would anoint me, that you would fill me with your spirit and give me your words to speak. God, would you put power on these talks? Would you put power on our listening? Would you be involved in the midst of this? Would you let your kingdom come here in this building over the course of this weekend? So God, we give this weekend to you and ask that your will be done in Jesus' name. So, tonight, we're going to be looking at the big story of the Bible. And I want to talk about the Bible for just a minute. I've had a complicated relationship with this book. I grew up in a Christian house, but did not have a deep faith in Jesus. I didn't have a not faith in Jesus, but I just kind of was ambivalent and went to church with my parents. And I felt a lot of guilt around the Bible that I should be reading it every day, that it should be a guiding text for my life. But in reality, it was an occasionally interesting, yet generally boring endeavor. 
And so that was my experience up through probably the year after I graduated college. The year after I graduated college, I encountered God in a new way that I hadn't before through some desperate circumstances. I will tell you in some other time because we don't have time for my testimony too. But after encountering God, my relationship to the Bible changed significantly. It was no longer a dry academic exercise that was occasionally interesting, but it became a source of life. It became a book that felt alive when I read it. It felt like sometimes it would read me or it would pertain to the circumstances in my life or it would be speaking into things that were concerning me in a way that it never had before because the Holy Spirit was speaking God's word to me as I read the Bible. And there was another time that my relationship to the Bible changed significantly, and that's when I learned that it was not just a collection of some letters and books and poems about God. It is that, but it is also a cohesive storyline of what God is up to on earth. There's a redemptive arc that goes from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end of the Bible that we fit into and get to participate in. And beginning to see the cohesive nature of the big storyline of the Bible changed my relationship to the Bible again. Not only was it a source of connection to God and insight into my life and practices, but it also became this guiding narrative for how I saw the world. And so tonight we're going to try to do that quickly from Genesis to Revelation to see the big story of the Bible, to understand what God's mission is and how we fit into it as his people. Because if we can understand God's mission and what he's about in the world, it helps us orient our participation, our mobilization into that ministry. It roots it in something that is beyond ourselves. And I get excited about being involved in a story that is bigger than me. When you play on a sports team and you're participating in team athletics, the story is bigger than just you. You can have a contributing role. You can help advance your team and move it forward, but it relies on other people and it's part of a grander narrative. And as God's people, we get to participate in the grandest narrative that is known. So we're going to look at that. But if there's three takeaways I want you to have tonight, it's these three things. And this is going to be the frame we look at. If you only remember the Bible's good and God is good, he is missional and he is covenantal. I want you to take these three things away. So we're going to look at a lot of stuff pretty quickly, but you can root back to this to understand that God is good, God is missional, and he's covenantal. God is good. Scripture tells us that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It tells us that God is love. And so beyond anything else, he is good. Like at the deepest, truest sense, he is love, he is light, he is our savior, he is good. He is missional. He has 
a plan. And out of his goodness, God exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in an eternal community of love and of light and of joy and of peace. And he has a mission to share that reality, to allow that reality to increase and grow and to invite invite others into his goodness. Scripture tells us that uh, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as waters fill the seas. We see this beautiful revelation in Revelation of God in New Jerusalem descending, and we'll look at it later, but he desires, his mission is to let creation experience his goodness. And finally, God is covenantal. A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. And the way that God brings his mission about on earth is through his covenants and through his covenant people. And so he establishes covenants, binding agreements that he invites people to participate in and to join into and to be a part of. And so this is a helpful key to understand how God has moved throughout the course of history. So let's take a look. The Bible starts in Genesis 1 with Eden. We end up with a covenant. We get to see God's mission. And it is in Genesis 1. I have a new Bible and so I'm slower to get to where I want to go, so I just apologize in advance for that. Uh, So God creates everything. He starts off, he creates the earth and the sky and the animals and the water and the sun and the moon. He's creating everything, and the stanza that repeats is after he creates something, he says, and it was good, and it was good. And it was good. It's this expression of the Trinitarian goodness, their creative capacity to create all of these good things in nature. It was good. It was good. He created man and woman, and he said it was very good as he created them because he created humankind in his image. He says in Genesis 1.26, let us make humankind in our image, in the image of the Trinity, According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything that moves. And God said, see, I've given you every yielding, every yielding, every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the air, earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. 
So here, God creates a people for himself in his image. What does it mean to bear the image of God? To bear the likeness of God? He gave humans uniquely a creative capacity. He gave us the ability to love. He gave us the ability to create. He gave us the ability to worship, to be in volitional relationship with other people. He created humanity in his image and he gave them a covenant. It's in Genesis 2, it's sort of a non-explicit covenant. He gave them all this authority. And in Genesis 2, he says, just don't eat from one tree. And all the authority is yours. And he gives them this mandate to go into all the world, to multiply, to fill, and to exercise authority over it. What he's asking, and this is part of God's core mission, to fill the earth with the image of God, to fill the earth with the Trinitarian community, the goodness of God. He told them to go in relationship with God, to go into all of the world and make it beautiful to let it reflect God's nature, to exercise righteous authority over everything, create beautiful things. Because that was his mission, right? To fill the earth with the glory, the image of God. Something happens in Genesis 3. The covenant is broken. Adam and Eve disobey God They eat from the tree. Repercussions show up of sin and death and a a shattering in the relationship between God and humanity. And you watch after Genesis 3, evil just begins to increase on earth. And instead of the image of God of love and joy and peace and light and goodness being multiplied through the earth, you end up having pain and murder and abusive people and a abusive creation multiplying over the earth instead. So the fall was a big deal because it it seemed to interrupt God's mission as the covenant was broken. But God's faithfulness in the midst of the fall is that, and I just want to tell you something else, and we're going to see this, is that God is going to accomplish his purposes. He is faithful even when people are unfaithful. He will accomplish his mission of filling the earth with his glory. So he ends up uh, killing some animals, covering Adam and Eve in skins and sending them out. There's a curse over the ground where work is not purely joy, but it has difficulty. Multiplication is not purely joy, but there's difficulty attached to it. And so the human's participation in God's mission to multiply, fill, and rule becomes harder after the fall. And then we see this kind of movement forward where there's some good on the earth and evil is increasing rapidly. And you can look at this in Genesis 9. We're not going to look at all the scriptures for the sake of time, but I encourage you to press into this if you want to. In Genesis 9, evil had just multiplied on the earth, and it says God was sad that he had made creation because the image of God and the plan that he had to fill the earth with goodness and light and joy was broken, and it was filled with abuse and hardship. So God calls Noah, and we, in Bible school, we know this, in Sunday school, we know the story of Noah's ark. He rescues the animal, and Noah's family as the only righteous people on earth. The earth floods, the earth stops flooding, they get off the ark, and God initiates a covenant 
with Noah. He reaffirms his covenant and says, I will make a covenant with you, Noah, that you will have. And it's almost exactly the same covenant as he made with Adam and Eve. He said, go, fill, rule, multiply, spread my image on the earth. And so that was good. I'm going to actually read it, I think. I wasn't going to, but it's good. And I want to actually read it. He says, um, Be fruitful and multiply, abound on the earth and multiply in it. And he said to Noah and his sons, I'm establishing my covenant with you and with your descendants and with every living creature that's after you and every animal of the field and earth, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So he renews this great creative mandate and he makes a covenant that he's not going to flood the whole earth again. He's going to be faithful to accomplish his mission without destroying all of humanity, which is good news. Um, then we get into this really fascinating story. And I think the Tower of Babel, it's like this, this story in Genesis 11 that can be sort of just random, but I think it actually holds one of the most important missional keys in the whole Bible. Because here covenant is broken again and God's great strategy for accomplishing his mission on earth is like it takes a really interesting turn. So in uh, Genesis 11, it says the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came to a plain of the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that he had built. And the Lord said, look, there are one people and they have one language. And this is the only the beginning of what they'll do. Nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth. So it's really interesting. They're in direct disobedience to the mandate of God. God said, go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with my image, cover the whole earth, subdue the whole earth, bring my image into the whole earth. And, the, and so the glory of God would cover the whole earth. And here the people are saying, no, we want to build a name for ourselves. We want to build our own glory and we don't want to be scattered all over the earth. We're going to build our own glory right here. So God says, I'm going to confuse the languages, which is going to cause them to go and spread all over the world. So it's an important step in God's mission to accomplish his glory filling the whole earth because the people who are in his image, but yet a marred image of him are going to fill the earth. And then he selects Abraham, Abram in Genesis 12 and says, Abram, 
I'm going to make a covenant with you. And so in Genesis 12, we have this covenant with Abraham. And there's a really important thing in the covenant that he makes with Abraham. He says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So this is a massive turn in God's redemptive history where he scatters the people all over the earth and then he selects a people for himself in Abraham and says, in you, all nations will be blessed. So it's God's plan to begin to evangelize and bless all the nations and it is a a foretelling of the coming of Jesus. After Abraham, we have Moses. Uh, Israel goes into slavery for 400 years. Eventually, God liberates them through Moses as he leads them out through the Red Sea, uh, ends up making a covenant with Israel. He gives them the 12 commandments. He gives them the law, and he sets them up to be a missionary nation. The promise was that they were to follow uh, a law to follow, freedom from slavery, that God would be their national God and establish them in a promised land. I will be your God and you will be my people. The mission was to establish a nation to bring God's purpose, to be an example of life under God's reign, and to bring the other nations into relationship with God. Israel was strategically located right in the crossroads of all the trade routes of the ancient Near East, and they were meant to be a light to the nations, to demonstrate and show what God's life was life with God was like. Uh, Israel decided they wanted a king that following God directly wasn't comfortable, and uh, they wanted a king like the rest of the nations. So they asked God for a king, and eventually he gave them uh, Saul as a king, and that didn't go very well, and then David as a king. Um, And he makes a covenant with David. And he makes a covenant that there would be a kingdom to fulfill the promise of the Abrahamic and Mosaic Mosaic, I don't know, Moses covenant. And uh, David's lineage would sit on an eternal throne and God's love would never depart from his people. And so part of his mission was to have a king in this missional nation of Israel to rule over them and demonstrate what God is like. Uh, David's lineage fell away. They were not faithful to God. They broke their end of the covenant. But God is faithful even when people are unfaithful. And so it leads up to the most amazing reality in Jesus. That the prophets foretell of a new covenant and a coming Messiah. And then we see its establishment in Matthew and Luke and Jesus' whole life. And so the covenant promise, it's open to everyone this time, not just the nation of Israel. And the covenant promises that the new covenant is the culmination of God's saving work in his people. He promises to make an everlasting covenant with his people in which he will write his law on their hearts. Bring complete forgiveness from sin. 
to put his spirit in them to empower them to love and to obey his commandments and to raise up a faithful Davidic king in Jesus to rule over them and bring them back into the land to reunify them into one people of God and cause them to be a light to the nations. So it's a free people, freed from slavery to sin, forgiven from sin, reconciled to God, empowered by God's Spirit to host God's presence on earth, to love God, love neighbor, be a light to the nations, and through Jesus, and making disciples of all nations. So God's plan here is going from Genesis, fill the earth with the glory of God to share the Trinitarian life and culture, love and light and joy in partnership with humanity, his image bearers here on earth. It goes through this really rocky history all through the Bible, but we see in Jesus the promise is enabled in a new way. That Jesus is the fulfillment of every broken covenant between man and God. He is the fulfillment of the sacrificial law and deals with sin. He is the fulfillment of the penalty of death. He is the one who can change our hearts from stone to hearts of flesh. And he is the one who can break the power of sin that mars the image of God in us and put us back together, giving us new life in Christ and by his spirit, the actual ability to represent God well on earth to actually live in communion with him, to actually be able to obey him, to actually to be able to live out his life in your circumstances. He's the one that empowers us to do all of that. And so the ultimate vision here is for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as waters cover the sea. And in Revelation 21.4, the culmination of Scripture, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said to me, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the springs of life of, wa of the spring of the water of life. And to those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This ultimate vision of the wrapping up and renewal of all things of God's glory filling the entire earth. We see that God is the alpha, the, the beginning, the one who initiates the ultimate plan. And when Jesus finally returns, he is the one who will fulfill his plans completely. So we see that God is missional. He has a mission and he is going to complete it. We see that God is covenantal. 
that he is fulfilling the covenants even when we break them and inviting us into a legal, secured relationship with him in the new covenant where he handles all of the brokenness. He handles all of the sin. He handles all of the mess. He takes all of that on himself. He takes the curse of the law. He takes the evil that we've participated in. He takes it all on himself and gives us blessing and healing and redemption in its place. And we see that he is good. That he's putting an end to death. He is wiping every tear from his people's eyes. He's making all things new. All the areas where sin has marred creation and caused pain in humanity. He is systematically going to fix it. He's good. So how do we get there? We're looking and anticipating his final return. He's not here yet. Where we are now, we are in the midst of this story where God's redemptive purposes are still unfolding. Where the story is not done yet, revelation is in the future. Jesus' ultimate return is in the future. So how do we participate? How do we join into this mission now? Because we are his covenant people. And if we go back a couple slides... We can see it. The mission now is that we participate with him as a people freed from slavery, forgiven of sin, reconciled to God, empowered by God's spirit to host God's presence on earth, love God, love neighbor, be a light to the nations through Jesus, making disciples. So that's our part of the covenant promise right here. And we're looking forward to his ultimate return at the end. But what do we do in the meantime? Matthew 24, 14 says, This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And in 2 Peter 3, it says, Do not be ignorant about this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about keeping his promises, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed or revealed. Since all these things are to be dissolved this way, what sort of person ought you be leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the day, the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. So how do we get there? How do we participate? God's missional plan what he's up to is he wants all nations to hear his good news because he is in the process of evangelizing these nations that were distributed back at the Tower of Babel because he wants the whole earth filled with his image. He's inviting us to be as his new covenant people participating in this mission to declare the kingdom, to reveal his nature, to all the nations, and to live holy lives with him, imaging him, and displaying his goodness. So here we go. God is good. God is missional. God is covenantal. 
And we, his covenant people, we are the primary means of his mission and members of his covenant family. And we're participating in the unfolding of all things. What we do now matters. What we do now matters for all of eternity. Our lives are not meaningless. Our lives are not isolated from something grand. But he is inviting us to meaningfully participate in what the God of the universe has been doing since the very beginning of creation. Of displaying his image and glory on the entire earth. So we have a personal step which is to come to know him because he is the only way that we can do that. The nation of Israel proved having God's laws was not enough to be holy. Knowing the right thing to do is not enough to be holy. It's not enough to represent the image of God. You could have it all written down in front of you, but we are desperately broken by sin and by the fall and by stuff we've inherited and by the mess that is going on in the spiritual world around us. We can't do it on our own. But God has given us a Savior in Jesus and personally we come to Him and we can put our faith in Him. Because he died on a cross to forgive you of all of your sin and to cleanse you from all of the unrighteousness. To give you a new heart that is actually empowered and enabled to follow him and to bear his good image in the world. To love God and to love your neighbor and to do good things, and to help people flourish, and to demonstrate the love and joy and peace and light and life and goodness that is the God of the universe. So our personal responsibility is to come to him, or at least allow him to give us what he wants to give us, what he died to give us. The Bible tells us that it was the, for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. That he is longing to give you the forgiveness and freedom that he already has paid for on the cross. Because he desperately loves you. And wants you to be free from the shame and the guilt and the repercussions of what has happened in the past. And wants to give you his new life. And to give you his spirit to empower you to live differently. And participate in this new kingdom reality. So we have our personal response. But we also have a, a, a missional, communal, covenantal family response. That as a member of God, as one of his children, we become a member of his family. And his family is on this grand mission of displaying his goodness and glory on all of the earth and evangelizing all of the people groups and helping the whole world to hear his good news and to have the opportunity for this life with Jesus where the 
death and destruction and theft of our past is washed away and replaced with the abundant life that is found in Jesus. And it is on God's heart. He's not slow about keeping his promises. But he is tarrying, delaying, so that as many as possible might get to know him before this whole thing wraps up and he returns. His delay, his allowing evil to still operate on earth, that is actually out of love and compassion and his desire for more to come to know him. So we're going to spend more of this weekend looking at what it practically means to be an image bearer in our entire lives, to demonstrate the goodness and glory of God in everything we do, and we're going to look at how we can participate in his grand mission of spreading the glory of God to all nations. And so... I'm going to pray and then the band can come up and we can close. Father, thank you that you are doing something epic on earth. Thank you that you are good, that your image is a good image, that you are a good God, that you are love, you are life, you are light, you are joy, you are all of the good things that we deeply long for. And thank you that you have made yourself available to us. God, I ask that you would allow us to encounter you in your goodness in a deeper way. That we would see you more truly, more accurately, God. Would you wipe the, the, the smudges off of our glasses where we have an incorrect perception of who you are? God, would you sovereignly work to help us see you and experience you just more accurately, God? And this weekend, would you give us new vision for how we can participate in what you're doing? So thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. We love you, Lord. Amen.